0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm really excited today. We're going to start a series on 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians, and I was trying to think if I say this about like every book of the Bible that we start, but, but 2 Corinthians is like my favorite book. Let me share with you just a couple of the uh, my favorite verses from 2 Corinthians that are probably some of your favorite verses, too, and you didn't realize that they were all in 2 Corinthians. Right off the bat, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. You ever grab a hold of that? The God of comfort who comforts us in our affliction? It's right here in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1.20, one of uh, my, my favorite useful hermeneutical verses in all the Bible. The promises of God all find their yes in Jesus Christ. He is the the fulfillment, the answer to all of the promises of God in the Old Testament. A couple verses later, that we would not be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his designs. Paul gives us this little glimpse into the the way that Satan operates in a church. 2 Corinthians, don't worry, there's only 10 of these slides. (laughs) I restricted myself to 10. I thought, okay, this is getting out of hand. God who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to unpack that verse for the rest of our lives, understanding what Paul is saying here. 2 Corinthians 4.7, you know this one. Probably got this tattooed somewhere, don't you? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4.17, this is one of the best. This light Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. We love these verses. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This beautiful summation of the gospel 2 Corinthians 5, in Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church for funds, his fundraising appeal, chapter 9, verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You know this part, because God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians nine fifteen: thanks be to God for his inexpressible, amazing, marvelous, wonderful gift. You know this one? I've heard this one used a lot. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This one gets bandied around a lot lately. You know this one? It's one of our favorites. My grace, the Lord said to me, Paul says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, all of these amazing verses that are some of our favorite, most useful verses are all from the book of 2 Corinthians. So, before we go into 2 Corinthians, though, I want to I wanna start with, I guess, these questions here. What is 2 Corinthians? This is a sort of random collection of, of beautiful scriptures. What is 2 Corinthians, and why is 2 Corinthians? What is 2 Corinthians, and why does 2 Corinthians exist? Let's pray briefly, and then we'll dive into these questions today. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that as Ben prayed a moment ago, that you, you love to display your grace on weak people. You love to take the things that don't look like they're something and use them for something extraordinary. And so we're gathered here in a church service, in the name of Jesus, in what to all the world looks like nothing, or less than nothing. It looks like folly. And yet we know that here you have promised to meet us, here through the word that your Spirit fills, in the gathering of your people that Jesus has promised to be among. We know that you love this, that your heart is for this, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are here working, serving this gathering. And so, Father God, I ask that you would pour out your love now through the Holy Spirit whom you have given us into our hearts, that we would walk away all feeling loved a little more. And Spirit, we turn this time over to you and ask that you would transform us through this contemplation of Scripture that we might behold the glory of Jesus a little more clearly and be transformed into that same image that each of us would be open to this, and that you would do this work. For we are utterly and completely in your hands. And so we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you die for Jesus? Would you lay your life down for Jesus? Probably, you would say, yeah. Right, if the commies burst in, if the Red Army burst in right now and they lined you all up, Deny Jesus or die? You would say never. You know, I think most of you, most of us, would say, I, "I'd be willing to lay my life down, give my life up for Jesus." But would you be willing to lay down your life? Would you be willing to do that same thing if they're like, and they burst in here and they said, "Renounce your membership to Fellowship Bible Church or die"? You'd be like, well, you know, there's other churches. <laughs> That's not that big of a deal. Would you lay down your life for a church? Would you be willing to give your life up for a church to, to just pour yourself out on behalf of a church? I mean, what would have to be true of that church for that to happen? What would have to be true of that church for that to happen? That's the, the question that's going to really animate our consideration of 2 Corinthians this morning. But first, let's, let's just figure out who and what we're talking about when we talk about 2 Corinthians. Uh, first of all, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul is an apostle, 2 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He kind of specifies this and clarifies in 1 Corinthians 15.9. That he, is, uh, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. He wasn't one of the 12-11 who walked with Jesus uh, during his earthly ministry. But he says, I'm one of the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. That kind of summarizes so much of Paul's story. The persecutor who was knocked off his donkey on the way to Damascus and, and then became called by Jesus to be this apostle. He has a unique relationship with the Corinthian church, though. 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul says, Though, Corinthian church, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have that many fathers. But I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he's an apostle of Jesus, he's a father to this church. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, People should think of us, regard us, as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So he's an apostle of Jesus. He's the father of this church. He wants everybody to think of him as a servant of Christ, that everything he's doing is serving Christ. And then as Ben just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's doing all this under extreme threat, right? Beatings, whippings, uh, deprivations. I mean, he's, he's really laying his life down for this corinthian church so paul who writes second corinthians is an important dedicated significant serious leader who is laying his life down for the corinthian church that's what ben ben read this just he is pouring himself out he's laying it all on the line for the corinthian church why would he do all this Okay, what has to be true of this church? So now let's talk about the Corinthian church, the recipients of the letter of 2 Corinthians. So first we've got to think about Corinth. Uh, in case this helps you, here's a picture. Uh, you can see Corinth on the left, adjacent to Athens. So if you can imagine Greece, this is kind of a, a zoom out. You've got Jerusalem all the way down in the bottom right-hand corner, Rome in the top left. And you can see Corinth and Ephesus kind of in the middle. Those are going to be two uh, important points in our story. So there's the zoom out on it. And there's the zoom in and zoom out. So Corinth was this great, glorious, ancient Grecian city. And they rebelled. They were one of the last holdouts to the expansion of the Roman Empire. Rome leveled it. Completely leveled old Corinth and issued a decree you cannot build here ever again. So, for hundreds of years, it was just nothing. And then, Julius Caesar, about 75 years before 2 Corinthians was written, he opened Corinth up again. Kind of like, a, do you remember the, what was it Far and Away with Tom Cruise? And, and they do that Oklahoma land grab where everybody's like, I, at the line, and they're all trying to go and stake their claim, right? That's kind of what Corinth was in uh, 30 B.C. It was Julius Caesar saying all of the the freed slaves who had served so well in the Roman Empire but didn't have money, didn't have title, didn't have nobility or education, he said, I'm going to give you this well, parts of this land. And so when he lifted the ban on building there, it just the Roman Empire which just... It was just this vacuum that absorbed Everything from everywhere, everybody who was anywhere thinking, I'm stuck here, I can't get ahead, there's no opportunity here, I hit the glass ceiling, they all came to Corinth. And then with them, all the other people that were like, I can't wait to take their money, right? And then all the people who were like, well, we can't take take their money. So it was just layers of people scrapping and fighting, hustling. It was this extremely strategic location uh, geographically, for trade, which is why it used to be such a great place, but now it was it was overrun with schemers and dreamers, with people who were aching for respectability. No old money came to Corinth. Everybody in Corinth was new money trying to pretend they were old money. They were all lifting their pinky at their teacup, and none of them really knew why right so the whole culture was this just this super aggressive hustle culture where Everybody wanted to look better than everybody else. And the worst thing that could be happening was that you're sitting here at this restaurant when there's a better restaurant open around the corner. The worst thing that could happen is if you're listening to this religious teacher explain something that they say is important when a better religious teacher just showed up around the corner and is that's the hot new one. So this culture just driven by the fear of missing out and everybody just clamoring to to be a little better, a little more in the know than the person beneath them. Paul visits this. He visits Corinth on his second missionary journey and plants the church of Corinth. Now I'm going to give you kind of a, a little walkthrough of the story of Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church. He plants this church on a second missionary journey, leaves, goes back to Jerusalem, comes back to uh, Ephesus, so just right across the way, where he stays for two and a half years. He's in Ephesus for a long time, for a very productive season. While he's in Ephesus, he gets word of all the stuff that he writes about in 1 Corinthians. So uh, there was a delegation that came to him, uh, as well as... Uh, a letter from Chloe's people, and that's where he, all this, so he plans this church, and, and then he gets all this news about all these schisms, right? I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, all this rampant sexual immorality, also a drunken church services, other stuff happening in church that's just shameful in their culture, Uh, people not understanding theological concepts that are really basic, but they're being really misunderstood. There's all of these problems in the Corinthian church. But but it's still Paul's church. So he's able to address it. So he writes 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that he writes to the Corinthian church. But 1 Corinthians, he writes it, sends it back with Timothy. He sends Timothy... Timothy comes back. And he's got a bad report. So after Paul sends First Corinthians, he come, Timothy reports back that all the stuff that we had heard about that was bad is worse. It's worse, and it's it's kind of turned against you specifically, Paul. So Paul drops everything, and he goes to Corinth. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When he goes back to Corinth to try to put things right, something happens, and Paul is humiliated. Seems like one of the leaders, some fellow who has been agitating everybody against Paul, really takes this as an opportunity to to stand up and to... do his best to embarrass Paul and nobody sticks up for him and Paul leaves. He calls it a painful visit. When he gets away from there, he writes a letter that he calls uh, a severe letter. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did So that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough." So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. That's why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you're obedient in everything. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while." As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So Paul shows up, there's this opposition party that embarrasses him, and he 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 can't he feels like he can't do anything else. He leaves, writes this letter that is severe enough that it gets everybody's attention. They turn on the guy who had turned on Paul. And the letter seems to have worked seems to do the trick he sends it with Titus there's a little bit of a hint in scripture that maybe Titus was a little bit of a more forceful character than Timothy. Maybe that helped so you got the painful visit and the severe letter now it's important to understand that a lot of what the the Corinthian church's problem with Paul was result of their culture right they wanted th- They were constantly anxious about, is there somebody better than Paul to teach us about Jesus? You got your Bibles open in 2 Corinthians 7. Keep going a little bit to the right to 2 Corinthians 10. This is what the Corinthians are saying about Paul. 2 Corinthians 10.10, they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So, Paul's not an imposing figure. There was a school, a tradition in Greco-Roman world right now at this time, that the guys were, they were trained in oration. They were trained in mannerisms, like theatrical speech-making. And they, they knew how to use their words, and to use their pauses, and to use their gestures. And they could, they would, people would just show up and listen to these guys talk about anything. It was just like the entertainment. They, were, uh, they, they tried to be like wise and helpful, but it was just this whole industry. And Paul, he's no comparison to these guys. The Corinthian church was embedded in a culture that valued the externals. How do you look? How do you carry yourself? How do you talk? And what they wanted in the spirituality of their church, what they wanted was something that was Nice to look at, nice to listen to. They wanted it to be beautiful and loud and powerful and respectable so they could invite people from that temple and that God's worship to their church and feel like, see. And Paul did not deliver. He did not deliver on those things. So, this severe letter works. Paul hears back from Titus that things are going well, and so Paul begins to write 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 9. Uh, There's a very different tone, if you read 2 Corinthians, between chapters 1 through 9 and chapters 10 through 13. So much so that some scholars think that there are actually two letters that were brought together, although there's no evidence of that. Just the tone is so different. So our best reconstruction is that Paul's writing 2 Corinthians 1 through 9, which... You know, takes a lot of work in itself while he's involved in his Ephesian ministry, which is keeping him very busy. And during that time, he hears a report of something else now that has come into the 2nd Corinthian, the, the Corinthian church's world. Look with me here at 2nd Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. So now Paul's heard something else. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these quote-unquote super-apostles, But even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made that plain to you in all things. Look down to verse 12. What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And their end will correspond to their deeds. And now look at chapter 13, verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5. This is Paul's sort of concluding feeling about the Corinthian church and about the situation they're in. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that jesus christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test so the trouble at corinth isn't just the corinthian tendency to uh, factions and conflict but now there's these outsiders who've come in guys who are impressive guys who are eloquent Guys who make big claims about themselves and show up with what looks like all the right documentation. And they make some small adjustments to the gospel. And so 2 Corinthians 10 to 13 actually ends up being Paul's most passionate, most personal chapters where he really uncorks. I mean, he really just comes unglued. Uh, But it seems again like it seems like it works. He sends this, and he visits, and uh, it seems like things are better because he writes the book of Romans from Corinth after 2 Corinthians was written. So 2 Corinthians is sent, Paul follows it up, he receives the collection that he's been asking them to take, and that all goes well. We know this from the end of the book of Romans. All right, so this is the Corinthian church. Now let's go back to our first question. Would you lay down your life for a church like this? What does Paul say at the end of chapter uh, 11? Uh, Apart from all the other nonsense that I dealt with, verse 28, all the other stuff that I've, all the literal blood I've shed, apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches, for you Corinthian church. Why does Paul love this church? Why is he fighting with this church? At which one of those letters, at which one of those visits, would you have just said, okay, I guess a culture like this is not hospitable to the gospel, or I am not an adequate minister to make an inroad here. This group of people is just bad. I'm going to start over with somewhere else. When do you just give up? Right, why bother with a church like Corinth? Why send all the letters? Why make all the trips? Why bother with this church? Because as we said before, uh, what would have to be true of this church? Whatever would have to be true of a church for you to like really just I'm going all in here, I'm laying my life down, is not true of this church. It's just not it's not true of this church. This church is the worst. So why, Paul? Why are you fighting for this church like this? Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 begins the answer. It's a multi-step answer. I want you to understand why Paul is fighting for this church. And it's not because the church is great. It's not because the church is giving him a lot of affirmation. He's not getting a lot of thank you notes on Pastor Appreciation Sunday from the Corinthian church. He's getting the most deep embarrassment that he's ever had. and The greatest anxiety of any of the churches that he serves. So why, Paul? Why does Paul bother with this? Right, we're gonna start back, we've got to start back a little theologically. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. Listen to this. Paul says, In the case of the world, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. And here's that verse again we referenced earlier. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory. And this is a kind of a key word. Like glory is not a very common word for us today. But this was a key word for the Corinthian church. Glory was something that you wanted so that you could boast about it. The, the expression, uh, the word boasting is used more in 1st and 2nd Corinthians by far than anywhere else in the Bible combined. Because the Corinthians were a culture of boasting in glory. And Paul's saying the greatest glory that there is, the glory of God. How do we see? it? The glory of God is seen in Jesus. The glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, Nice, hang with me here because is Paul fighting for seeing jesus is he is he fighting for god's glory? Or is he fighting for this church of rascals? Now how do we see Jesus we're gonna, we're going to follow the glory here, so try to try to keep your eye on the glory and where it goes. How do we see Jesus? look at uh, across the page here, chapter three verse. Verse 18, Paul says, We all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. Now the Lord uh, are being transformed in the same image, and this comes about from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how do we see the glory of God in Jesus? We behold that glory through the work of the Spirit. God's glory is seen in Jesus. Jesus is seen through the work of the Spirit. All right, well, Paul, are you laying your life down for the Spirit? That makes sense. That's not what we're talking about. He's not fighting for the Spirit. He's fighting for this rascally group at the Corinthian church. All right, so how does the Spirit do this? Let's go a little bit further up in chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit reveals Jesus' glory, which is God's glory, to people through the work of Paul. His, the ministry of the Spirit. All right, so you're tracking with the glory, God's glory in Jesus. The Spirit's working to help us see it. Paul's working. The the Spirit's using Paul and his work. All right. So is this, but Paul's not fighting for the glory of God in his, he's not fighting for his own status. He's not fighting for his ministry. He's fighting for this church. How does the church, where does the church come in? Alright, why does Paul, why is the Spirit powering Paul's work? Why does Paul serve this? Look with me now at chapter 8. Here's a really weird, I honestly didn't know this verse existed in 2 Corinthians. You know, I'm Mr. 2 Corinthians fan. And this verse was like, jumped up and bit me. Chapter 8, verse 23. Why is Paul serving this? He's serving this because he was sent by a church. Uh, Paul says here, as for Titus, he's my partner, my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. You see, read that. They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Where's the glory of Christ? It was in the churches and they somehow it comes out of the church through these messengers through paul and titus and the other brothers the glory of christ is now embodied in the messengers of the churches that's just that's wild that's that's wild to me all right and now where does it go let's go back to chapter three where is this go right, all right keep your eye on the glory glory's in the church it's traveling out with paul and where's it going Paul says here in chapter 3, verse 18, again, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So the glory is coming from the churches to the churches. The Corinthian church is slowly becoming that same glory. It's becoming the luminous thing. The glory of God, seen in Jesus, which we see by the Spirit, Which is revealed in the apostolic gospel message is is collected in the church and then sent out from the Antioch church, which sent Paul and his buddies, to the Corinthian church, which now is becoming luminous with that same glory, from one degree of glory to another. Why is Paul, why does he love this church so much? Why is he fighting for this church? He's fighting for this church because the church, he says, the church is where the Spirit works. And the church is where people meet Jesus. The church is where God's glory shines. This is a very important theological flow. The church is where the Spirit has decided to work. I'm not telling the Spirit where to work. Scripture is revealing to us that the Spirit wants to work in the church. And why does that matter? It matters because we love Jesus so much. And the church is where people meet Jesus. It's not not our idea, it's what Scripture says why the church, why the Corinthian church is so important. And why is Jesus so important? Don't forget this. It's because there in the face of Christ, we meet God. This is why Paul is fighting for this church. This is why churches are worth the bother. Churches like the Corinthian church, churches like us. You know what the Corinthian church is? It's just some church. It's not a special church. It's not a big church. It's not a good church. It's just some church. It's not the Jerusalem church. Oh, it's not the Antioch church. It's not the Roman church. Paul's doing all this just for this church. It's a church embedded in a sinful, chaotic culture. Know any other churches like that? It's a church that tends to fall back and wander off and get ornery. Ever been in a part in a church like that? It's a church that makes you feel like sometimes, doggone it, why bother? Have you ever felt that way about a church? Have you ever felt like just why bother? I want to tell you this morning, as we begin to get into 2 Corinthians, I want to tell you what 2 Corinthians is, what, why it is, and I want you to tell you what it just means. What does it mean as a thing, as an artifact, as the fourth letter, after how many trips? What does it mean? It means don't give up. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on churches. Right? Just because church life is disappointing sometimes. Were you disappointed in your church, in people in your church last year? Were there times when church life was really difficult? Okay. What does 2 Corinthians mean? It means so what? It means don't give up. And better than don't give up, it means doggone it, go for the glory. Glory. Did you follow the little glowy little thing that was moving from God's heart through Jesus' face and the hands of the Spirit and the mouth of Paul and then it lands in Antioch and burns bright and is sent out onto, into Corinth and then catches? Right? Did you follow it? This is where the glory is. This is where the glory of God is located. I mean, if this is a reliable guide to the way things are, then if you want to see more God, then you need to fight harder for the glory of the church. Paul says almost that verbatim in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. He says, if you are interested in seeing the Spirit of God manifest, then be eager to strive for the building up of the church. If you want to see the Spirit build up the church, if you want to experience the glory of God in your life, build up the church. It's an extraordinary thing. I read this quote yesterday. I thought it was halfway hilarious and halfway very appropriate. From Moby Dick, uh, Melville says. There are some enterprises in which a careful disorderliness is the true method. (laughs) There are some enterprises in which a careful disorderliness is the true method. Church is difficult at times and disappointing and frustrating, but somehow, in the the manifold wisdom of God, this is the way. Okay. Practically, Paul gives us a couple suggestions in chapter 6, he reaches a kind of a, a critical point and he, he says, Corinthians, doggone it, let me just cut the chase. And He says, we've opened our hearts wide to you. Open your hearts wide to us. So what does it mean to go for the glory in a church? It means a, a measure of vulnerability. To open your heart wide to each other. And I've talked with some of you about this before, but this phenomenon that I especially see in more mature Christian people, well, we're eager to pray for each other, but we're not so eager to be prayed for. Right? We're eager. Okay, is there anything I can do to help? Well, is there anything we can do to help you? No. <laughs> Open your hearts. Why? Some that setting needs to be adjusted. If you want, if you're fighting for the church and you want more of this glory that's coming to us in Jesus, and the second thing Paul says, he says, I would gladly spend and be spent. So not only is there a measure of personal vulnerability, there's a a measure of of laying it out there, of giving yourself over for this enterprise, knowing that you're not necessarily going to get back in kind. You're going to lay down energy. You're not going to get necessarily energy back. You're going to lay down resources. You're not necessarily going to get resources back. What you're going to get back is a sense of the presence of God and the, the thanksgiving to His glory that you hear from others. As we go through 2 Corinthians together, we're going to learn about God, we're going to learn about Jesus, we're going to learn about the gospel, we're going to learn a lot about Christian living. But before we get into this, I wanted to make sure that we all understand together what 2 Corinthians is. you got to get this, what is 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians is God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the apostolic cohort led by Paul serving a deeply troubled church. If you've got your Bibles, look with me at one last passage, the end of 2 Corinthians, the last, very last verse. And here we see something extraordinary. This is utterly unique in all of Paul's writings. And Paul concludes 2 Corinthians by saying, Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. There's nowhere else in Paul's writings where the tri-person or the three persons of God are just stated in this way. Of course, he alludes to the Trinity and he alludes to their relationship in many different places, but it's not just stated here. And this is, of course, for the Corinthians' benefit. He's telling them, listen, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are serving you. Open your heart wide to them. Let them. Second Corinthians, friends, is the tri-personal God and the apostolic message serving a deeply troubled church. And why is that? Why God? Because the Corinthian church is what—it's the light of Christ in that dark place, just like us here now. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Sometimes we come to Scripture, and it just feels so holy, so old, and so high, and theological, and and we we can forget. How deeply broken, how deeply troubled were the people to whom it was written. How difficult and painful were the situations out of which it was written. It's people like us in situations like ours. And yet, it bears witness to the fact that that you are active and at work in churches just like this one. That somehow in your wisdom, in your love, in your power, you have attached your presence to the Corinthian church of all places and to Fellowship Bible to us. And so, Father, we open our hearts wide to you now. We know that you will bless us and keep us, that as you make your face to shine on us and you are gracious to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can, we can trust and trust ourselves to you. And we, can, we can go into this church. We can fight for it and, and love one another, knowing what we now know, that the glory of God is here for us to enjoy and here for the world to see. And that's what we want. We want those two things. We want to know and enjoy the glory of God and Jesus. And Lord, we are aching and longing to see our neighbors, this community, these communities, see Jesus truly And so, Father, I ask again that you would bless this church with the presence of your Spirit in a fresh way, that you would bless the words of Scripture read and considered this morning, that you would enter and bless the fellowship of these believers, that you would empower us for love and for good works, that you would sustain us and stabilize us if our faith is shaky, if our spirits are weak, that you would strengthen us according to your word and use us for your glory.